Yeah, I'm still looking at the uh, response to the interview with uh, Dr. Billy Ralph uh, today. Um, I was just chatting to Emma about this and probably the most response we've gotten to an item in quite a long time, um, both on text and WhatsApp and indeed phone calls to, to Emma as well. Um, so much so that I, I can't even begin to start reading them out. Lots, lots and lots of stuff in there. Um, almost all, with very few exceptions, um, um, applauding, I suppose, the, the, the conversation and the content of the conversation and one thing and another. Um, also, where David Doran was concerned, former County Councillor David speaking about uh, how some roads are not being uh, salted or gritted. Uh, one listener says, good morning, just listening to David on your show. Everything he says is true. The Holy Cross to Ballycahill Road is never salted, nor is the Cormacs town to Thurles. While they are secondary roads, they have a high volume of traffic always. No reason in this day and age why this should not be done. This is one of uh, our listeners. And um, councillors and wannabe councillors who vote against every revenue-raising measure but still want endless amounts of money allocated to new increased spending. Disconnect from reality, just naked populism, says one of uh, our listeners. I'm not sure if it's naked populism, if somebody is reflecting what they're being told by people out there. But anyway, uh, somebody else says, uh, Silvermines to Nina Road is never gritted, but the Dollar to Nina one is. I can't understand it. Silvermines Road is very busy. People going to work early in the morning and mothers driving the kids to school. It just doesn't seem fair, says one of our listeners. Now, for the 65th instalment of Tipperary's Hidden History, uh, Dr. Connor Reedy takes us inside the walls of Nina Jail on the eve of the Great Famine. Now, suspicion, menace and a bad feeling everywhere. And that was just among the prison staff. 1845 turned out to be a landmark year in the young life of Nina Jail as it saw the killing of one turnkey, the jailing of another, the transfer of a third and the sacking of a governor. April 1845, Ireland had not yet entered the Great Famine. There was little indication that what was arguably the worst chapter in the history of the Irish people was about to unfold during the years ahead. In that sense, life went on as normal in the spring months of 1845. The prisons of the country were not yet overflowing with the poor and impoverished who would commit crimes as a way of seeking shelter and sustenance during subsequent years. At Nina Jail, things were no different. Since it opened just three years earlier, hundreds of men and women and a few children passed through its gates for crimes that earned punishments ranging from a few days in prison to a trip to the gallows. For a bit of context, the average daily number of prisoners in Nina Jail during 1845 was around 117. Some 1,074 prisoners passed through the jail in the year between September 1845 and September 1846. This is just to give you a sense of the scale of the prison population in Nina. On the last Thursday night of April 1845, things appeared to plod along as normal. All the attendant problems of a 19th century Irish jail continued to challenge the authorities and this was par for the course. 
Sometime during the week, a prisoner named Ryan managed to escape from the jail and so there was a heightened security and a doubling of the guard. There was some chatter or intelligence emerging from across the jail population that more prisoners planned to scale the outer walls. There was even a rumour that the governor himself would be attacked. This led to some heightened tension and, quite understandably, a level of paranoia. Isaac Mills was one of the turnkeys, or warders, at Nina Jail. He was scheduled to be on duty that day, but asked one of his colleagues, Henry Cole, to take his place. There was quite likely nothing unusual about this arrangement, but for the fact that when Mills returned to the jail with a view to going on duty at around 9 o'clock that night, he was tipsy. He went to bed, and just an hour later he got up, went to Henry Cole and told him he was ready to take over and see out the rest of the night. His colleague refused to surrender the shift as he reckoned that Isaac Mills was still too drunk to do his duty. He told him to go back to bed and he would cover his shift for the rest of the night. Mills refused to cooperate and insisted on going on his rounds anyway. This would be a fateful and indeed a fatal decision. Meanwhile, while Mills was still in bed, two other turnkeys named Green and Purtle began a tour of the interior boundary walls of the jail. They did this on previous instructions from the governor. Remember, there was a heightened tension following the escape of a prisoner earlier in the week. In fact, this was not normally part of either man's duty, but simply an additional security measure. The governor had left clear instructions. Turnkeys had his consent to shoot any prisoner attempting to escape over the boundary wall. But they should be challenged before fired upon. It was, of course, more desirable to capture any would-be escapee rather than kill them but the option was open to shoot. Elsewhere on the jail campus, at around 10 o'clock, Henry Cole followed Mills at a distance as the drunken turnkey began what was his usual circuit around Nina Jail. Green and Purtle were just coming to the end of their first journey around the interior walls when they were directed to go again. As they started out, they heard a voice shout, All's well! They heard the same shout one or two more times and they recognised the voice of their colleague, Isaac Mills. They could sense somehow that he had drink taken but felt he probably was not too drunk. As they walked slowly under the shadow of a high wall but still illuminated by the moonlight, they heard a demanding shout. Who goes there? The men could vaguely make out the figure of Mills from a distance. Mills, however, seemed unable to identify his fellow turnkeys. A friend! replied Officer Purtill. He barely got the words out when he was struck by a gunshot to the chest. William, I'm shot, exclaimed the stricken turnkey. Green roared at the shooter. You murdering villain, why did you shoot that man? He lunged forward and, in his own words, made a prisoner of Mills. The mildly drunken officer had shot his colleague, wrongly believing him to be a prisoner up to no good under the cover of partial darkness. Because the jail was operating under slightly different security protocols that night, it was very likely that Mills was unaware that Green and Purtill would be making these internal perimeter patrols of the facility. In the heat of the melee, Green disarmed Mills, who had been carrying a dagger, as well as the firearm that struck his colleague. Soon after the shooting, Dr O'Neill Quinn from Nina arrived at the jail and attended to the stricken turnkey. He could barely detect a pulse. The shot entered Purtill between the first and second rib and wounded his blood vessels and lungs on its journey. The horrific event happened on a Thursday night. The following Monday night, turnkey Purtill succumbed to his wounds and died. 
Isaac Mills was arrested and held on remand at Nina Jail, charged with the murder of Purtill. The following July, he appeared at the Assizes in Nina, where he went on trial for manslaughter. Perhaps the most important witness to testify was his fellow turnkey, Henry Cole. After all, he was the one standing in for Mills during that fateful day and night. He was the one to witness him return from whatever it was kept him away from his duties that day, from whatever it was that caused him to become mildly drunk. He was the one who tried to dissuade him from going back on duty, despite being incapable of work. He was also some yards away from the incident that led to the fall and subsequent death of Purtle. Henry Cole provided a highly incriminating version of events and even after hearing this first witness it was clear that Isaac Mills would have a very difficult time convincing the jury that he was not guilty of something. Turnkey William Green provided a very different perspective on the incident but it largely concurred with Cole's version. Green was after all the one standing between the stricken officer when the shot struck. It was he who first revealed that the defendant Isaac Mills and Henry Cole one of the key Crown witnesses, were actually brothers-in-law. But since this incident, we're not sure if it was because of it, he had moved to become a turnkey at Clonmel Jail. William Green made a point of stressing that all of the men involved, including the victim, were in full uniform that night, complete with shiny buttons that would have been visible in the moonlight and assisted other officers in identifying them as turnkeys. The former governor at Nina Jail, Jonathan Smith, testified about his instructions to shoot any would-be escapees trying to make their way over the wall that Thursday night in April. He revealed that the prisoner who had escaped earlier that week was detained in a section of the prison to which Mills was usually assigned. It's not altogether clear whether the governor was putting this forward as a mitigating factor or some sort of feeble excuse as to why Mills might have been a bit more trigger-happy. But intriguingly, he revealed that he had lost confidence in the young turnkey following his recent marriage. The defending lawyer, Mr Hatchell, told the jury that while it was unfortunate that a life had been lost, there was no evidence of malice in the actions of Isaac Mills. He and the victim had no previous personal difficulties with each other. Given the circumstances of that particular week, the dynamics of the paranoia that had taken hold as a result of prisoner escapes and potential further attempts, it was natural that he was carrying a loaded weapon. Indeed, it was a requirement of his job that week. In fact, Hatchell appeared with very little subtlety to lay some of the blame at the feet of the now former governor. He had assigned Isaac Mills to do his usual duty that night, patrolling his part of the prison, but without informing him, he sent two other turnkeys out to patrol the interior of the perimeter of the outer walls. He went on to point out that when asked who goes there by Mills that night, the victim should have given a clearer answer than a friend. Reason would dictate that a prisoner attempting to escape would probably have given this very answer. Now this was clearly a risky strategy by the defender but in fairness he had nothing much else to work with by way of a defence. In summing up, which was probably much more biased than it would be today, the judge appeared to be having none of it. The defendant was guilty of a gross dereliction of duty and brought this about by depriving himself of those faculties with which his creator had endowed him. Those are the judge's words, not mine. He was referring to the fact that Mills went on duty in an inebriated state. He told the jury that the question came down to whether a sober man in the full possession of his intellects would, under the same circumstances, have thought it necessary to fire in order to prevent the escape of a prisoner. They would have to consider whether he was in a rational state of mind when he fired the shot. Indeed, 
would it have been necessary to fire the shot, even if this had been an escaping prisoner. 24-year-old Isaac Mills was found guilty and sentenced to six months for the manslaughter of his colleague. He served his time in Nina Jail, the very prison where he was employed as a turnkey when his crime was committed. This was not the end of the story. Later in 1845, the Inspector General of Prisons for Ireland, in his regular annual report on the state of the prison system in this country, revealed that a government-ordered inquiry into the episode at Nina Jail found that considerable blame attached to the Governor. It also found that, and I quote, a bad feeling had arisen amongst the officers and a relaxed discipline consequently, unquote. The Governor was found to be largely responsible, and I quote again, for want of a steady conduct in suppressing by a sound judgment these irregularities and not seeing the manifest results of not early correcting them." Unquote. So serious was this responsibility that Governor Smith was severely reprimanded by the inquiry. A few weeks later, the High Sheriff dismissed him from his job for other causes. One can only begin to imagine the dynamics of that six-month sentence served by Isaac Mills and how it worked out. How was he regarded by his fellow prisoners over whom he had once exercised authority as their jailer? How was he treated by his former colleagues, one of whom he was serving a sentence for killing? By the time he was released in January 1846, did he need to spend time in what we now know as solitary confinement for his own protection? Or was he given favourable treatment? So many questions on this fascinating incident, but as happens all too often, the answers must remain part of Tipperary's hidden history. And that's the wonderful Dr. Connor Reedy there with the 65th instalment. Can you believe 65 instalments of uh, Tipperary's uh, hidden history. By the way, if you want to listen back to some of those fascinating uh, stories, uh, you can do so online and it's tipperaryhiddenhistory.com uh, and it's just a treasure trove of uh, quirky, uh, quirky history by uh, the great uh, Dr. Connor Reedy there. 1800-938-007. We were talking about the rose there. A listener telling me that the cross of Palace on the way to Bursley is treacherous and it always is when there's frost because the water was not diverted off the road but it's never gritted either, Fran, it says here. All right, then we'll be talking about gardening in just a little while. But Pat brought us a story uh, during the morning that 85% of drivers believe that headlights are too uh, bright. And we've put that up on our social media platforms and we're getting a huge reaction uh, to this. So it seems to be an issue because according to a survey uh, in the UK, a majority of drivers uh, responded um, to report a rise in glare since the previous year. Now it appears that some of the newer cars, I think, some of these uh, um, uh, LED type lights are particularly blinding indeed. So what's your experience of that? And we will discuss it on the programme tomorrow. What is your experience of driving at night? Has it become more difficult because of uh, this and again, if you want to talk to Emma about this, 1800-938-007. Gardening's coming up. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 